Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nyberg. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 9.45 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nyberg. In John chapter 7, verse 38, the Lord says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, but... This spake he of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. And in my King James, the uh, given is in italics, it could probably more accurately be read, the Holy Ghost was not yet because that Jesus Christ was not yet glorified. I've entitled this message, The Holy Ghost Was Not Yet. I pray that by the end of this message, uh, we'll understand what is meant by that. He that believeth on me. That's talking about faith in Christ. You believe on Christ when you trust him as all that's needed to make you acceptable before God. That's faith. It's trusting him. He that believeth on me. I love that scripture in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, when Paul says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I want you to think about that. To him that worketh not, but believeth. You cannot work and believe at the same time. You're either working or you're believing. You can't do both. To him that worketh not, but believeth on me. As the scripture has said, out of his belly. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That one who believes, out of his belly, a work done on the inside, in his innermost being, out of his belly shall flow continuously, nonstop, rivers of living water. Now I want us to look at where our Lord first mentioned this living water in John chapter 
10, or John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, the Lord is talking to the woman at the well. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She didn't know what he was talking about. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She demonstrates. She has no idea who it is she's speaking of. Are you greater than Jacob? Of course he is. He's the creator of Jacob. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Now he's talking about the water that was in that well. You drink it, it may temporarily quench your thirst, but you're going to become thirsty again. And you can say that about anything in this life. You can find satisfaction in it temporarily, but you will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, what is the Lord talking about? He's talking about complete satisfaction with living water. Now, there's nothing about myself that I'm satisfied with. I'm not satisfied with one second of one day. It's not been good enough as far as that goes. I'm not satisfied with my preaching. I've never preach the gospel as freely as I should. I've never preached it as exclusively as I should. I want to, but there, there, there's nothing in this world that I'm satisfied with because I'm involved in it. But let me tell you something I am satisfied with. I'm satisfied to be saved by Christ where he does everything and I do nothing. It's all him. I find complete satisfaction in that. I find such satisfaction in the fact that everything God requires of me, he looks to Christ for. I find such satisfaction in his precious blood making me perfect before God, and it didn't have anything to do with my works. That's all that satisfies me. If you give me something I must do before God can do something for me, I'm scared to death. I get no satisfaction from that. But oh, how satisfied I am with in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in Him. Lacking nothing. I can't get any more loved by God. I can't get any more pleasing to God. I can't get any more saved than I am in Christ Jesus. All God requires of me, I have in Christ. I near, so near to God, near I cannot be. In the person of his dear son, I'm as near to God as he. Dear, so dear to God. Dearer, I cannot be in the person of his dear son. I'm as dear to God as he. Now, I'm satisfied with that. I'm not looking for anything else. Somebody says, there's got to be something else. Well, you just haven't seen this or you wouldn't say that. If you ever are satisfied with Christ, you'll look for nothing else. And with regard to everything else, the only thing that satisfies me 
is Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That means that everything in my life, all things in my life, God is working together for good. My good and his glory. You know, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You had a very wicked motive in what you were doing. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Everything in my life, God means for good. And if he means for something to happen, it happens. It's not like this is him wishing me well. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's such satisfaction in that. Um, but look what he says in verse uh, 39 when he talks about this um, belly, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit. This uh, experience of out of your belly flowing, flows rivers of living water to where you find complete and continual satisfaction in Christ alone, nowhere else. That is the work of God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, with the believer, all the experience we have of the gospel, of faith, of repentance, of love to God, of love to his people, of resting in Christ, of rejoicing in Christ, all that is from God the Holy Spirit. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now, why do you receive the Holy Spirit? The only way you receive the Holy Spirit is if God gave him to you. And if God gave him to you, you receive him. And if you never receive him, it's because he never gave him to you. He gives the Holy Spirit to all of his people. Now, the work of the Spirit in salvation is just as essential as the work of the Father and the work of the Son. I must have God the Father elect me. I must have Christ die for me and put away my sins. And I must have the Holy Spirit to give me this new heart, this new nature, this new birth, where out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the one God. One God in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just what the Bible teaches. I don't understand it, but I believe it. God is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. He's one God in three distinct persons. When the Lord taught his disciples to baptize, he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. John said, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. He is God the Spirit. When Ananias lied, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. God the Holy Spirit is God. He's just as much as God as God the Father and God the Son. And he's just as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. He's not an influence. He's not a force. He's a person. God the Holy Spirit. He's called in Scripture the Spirit of truth, 
the spirit of grace, the eternal spirit, the spirit of promise, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of adoption, the comforter. Did you know that he's the one who wrote the scriptures? Holy men spake of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Every word of the Bible, he is the author of. Uh, When the Christ was conceived in Mary's womb, it was said to be by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the author of the new birth. He which is, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He inhabits the preaching of the gospel. Peter spake of they which have preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And all of our experience of the gospel is through the Holy Spirit. The Father gives him, we receive him. And that is why we have satisfaction with Christ. Someone who is not satisfied with Christ, someone who's looking for some work somewhere to make them complete, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Those who have the Holy Spirit are continually satisfied with Christ only. They can't find any comfort anywhere else. Now, what does it mean when it says the Holy Ghost was not yet? We read... But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet. He was not yet given, or he was not yet. What? Does that mean God the Holy Spirit was not in existence yet? Of course not. He is the eternal Spirit. It doesn't mean he was not in existence yet. What does it mean that Old Testament believers were not born again? They didn't experience this work of the Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't mean that either. Uh, The Old Testament has always taught salvation the way the New Testament teaches. It's not like they're two different salvations. You know, the Lord said, um, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll put my spirit within you. That's obviously speaking uh, from the Old Testament scriptures. It's not saying the Holy Spirit was not yet operating in the lives of believers. If you were a believer, if you were saved, it's because God the Holy Spirit gave you life. David said, Cast not, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was totally aware of his complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean when it says the Spirit was not yet? Well, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the Jews. The Gentiles didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a revelation from God. There was no sacrifice for the Gentiles. The tabernacle was not for the Gentiles. It was just for the Jews. Uh, The Lord always intended on saving Gentiles. And he does. I'm a Gentile. He saved. And there were some Gentiles he saved in the Old Testament. But for the most part, God only worked with the Jews. And you can't read uh, the Old Testament and come up with any other conclusion. God's saving work was for the Jews. And the Lord said, salvation is of the Jews. But he doesn't always work just with the Jews. After the death of Christ, all of a sudden, salvation was opened up for the whole world. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not Jews, but Gentiles. Not, uh, there's no uh, classes. There, it's for everybody. That's the Holy Spirit is now working in that sense. But notice he says the Holy Spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, this supernatural sweeping work of the Holy Spirit is always connected with the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not yet glorified. Now, what in the world is that talking about? He was not yet glorified. Well, we read in John chapter 12, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, saying, the hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, what that is talking about is his death. The death of Jesus Christ is the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the death of Christ on the cross is the eternal purpose of God. Revelation 13, 8 calls him the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before there was a creation, he was the lamb slain. Before there was ever a sinner, there was a savior. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the cross of Jesus Christ was not God's response to the fall of Adam. He didn't say, well, Adam fell and I need to figure out a way to clean up this mess. I'll do it with the cross. No, the fall of Adam was for the cross. You see, uh, all of this was purpose for Christ to be glorified in the cross. Somebody may be thinking, are you uh, making God the author of sin? Uh, I hate when people ask that question. Maybe you're not asking it, but if you are, um, God's God. And he told Adam, in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. He didn't say if you eat. He said in the day you do. It was all part of God's purpose so the lamb could come and be slain and put away the sin and glorify himself and glorify God. Um, the death of Christ is the greatest act of obedience ever known. God said, let him nail you to a cross. Yes, Father. It's the greatest act of trust, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. It's the greatest act of love ever known. Uh, he loved his father so much that he was willing to go to the cross rather than let his father's law be dishonored. It's the greatest act of love to men. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The cross of Christ is the glory of Jesus Christ. It's the glorification of Christ. Christ was not a victim. Don't feel sorry for him. He was in control of everything that was taking place. Why, when they drove the nails in his hands and feet, it's because he willed for it to happen. He gave him the strength to do it. He could have prevented that if he wanted to, but he didn't because it's God's eternal purpose. Do you know that Christ on the cross is the manifestation of the character of God? There is no knowing God apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ manifests every attribute of God. Now, according to the scriptures, God is absolutely just. He must punish sin. Now, if there was a time when he could have turned his uh, head and not punish sin, you'd think it be, would be when his son was on the cross that it was the justice and wrath of God that killed him because God must punish 
sin. How we see the holiness of God. God's no respecter of persons. We see that in the cross, even when sin was on his son, he killed him. But how we see the love of God, that God would love sinners so much that he would give his sinners to his son for him to die on the cross for them. You know, the church is God's gift to his son. It's his bride. And Christ had to take full responsibility for their sin to save them. What love, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord said to his disciples, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. How this demonstrates the wisdom of God, that he's made a way to make every one of his people, people who have never sinned. That's what justification is, not merely forgiven. This is better than forgiveness. Oh, I love forgiveness, but he's made it to where his people are justified, having never sinned. He made a way to be just and justify the ungodly. What wisdom on God's part. What power that God has the power to make my sin not to be through the cross of Christ. And he has a way to make me exactly like his son through the cross of Christ. Every attribute of God is displayed in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Son of Man being glorified. Now he says the Holy Spirit was not yet because the Son of Man had not yet been glorified. You see what the Holy Spirit bears witness to when the gospel goes out to all nations, which began on the day of Pentecost, is he bears witness to Christ. Hebrews 10, 14 and 15 says, Wherefore, by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Do you hear that? By his death on the cross, if he died for you, you are perfected forever before God. And then the next verse says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. This is what the Holy Spirit bears witness to perfect death of Christ on the cross and what it accomplished, the full glory of God, the full salvation of his people. Now I hear preachers talk about the Holy Spirit and they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is because they don't preach the gospel. Uh, The Holy Spirit testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'd like to close by reading a passage of scripture in John chapter 16 that I think gives a very clear explanation of all this. In John chapter 16, verse 5, this is his last discourse to his disciples. He said, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me whither goest thou, because I've said these things unto you. Sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, he's talking about dying on the cross and going back to his father. If I go not away, the comforter will not come to you, But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember he said he was not yet given. Here's when he's given. And when he has come, he will reprove or convince the world. Not just the Jews. This is a message to the whole world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This is now the message. If you're in the world and you're saved, this is the message you'll believe and hear. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin 
and of righteousness and of judgment. Now this is what you're convinced of if you have the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. He says, first of all, of sin because they believe not on me. Sin is a terrible thing. The lives it ruins, the homes it wrecks. And sin can just bring much sorrow into your life. But do you realize that you haven't even been convicted of sin until you've been convicted of this thing of unbelief, of sin because they believe not on me. Now, here's what happens when you're truly convicted of sin. You find out you can't believe. You don't even know what it is to believe. You know you can't just decide to believe. You know it's not an act of your will. You don't say, well, I think I'm going to start believing today. I'm going to accept Jesus as my personal. You don't say stuff like that when, when you're convicted by God, the Holy Spirit. You see you can't believe. And you know, it's only when you see you can't believe that you believe. That's when God gives you faith. When you can't believe, you say, Lord, give me faith. I don't even know what it means. And you find yourself believing. You find yourself looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when you're convicted of sin. And the next thing he speaks of, uh, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're convicted that when Christ went back to the Father, he went back with his righteousness and that his righteousness is the only righteousness you can be saved by. You're convicted convicted of that. You're convinced that his righteousness is the only righteousness there is. That righteousness that he brings back to his father. You understand that your righteousness is as filthy rags and you believe his righteousness is the only righteousness there is. Do you believe that? Do you believe the only way you can be saved is by his righteousness? Not a mixture of his and your own, but his righteousness only. Do you believe that? Well, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 11 of judgment because of the prince of this world is judged. Now, when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, you understand that all judgment took place on the cross. Satan was defeated on the cross. You know, I enjoy thinking about this. When Christ was nailed to the cross, Satan thought, I've defeated him. I've defeated him. I've won. And he didn't realize even at this time that his head was being crushed. All judgment took place on the cross. Satan was defeated. My sins were paid for and judged and condemned and put away. All judgment took place on the cross. Now, the passing out of the sentences is not going to come to the end of the world. When I'm brought into heaven, others are brought into hell, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. The passing out of the sentences have not yet taken place, but judgment has. When he said, it is finished, all judgment was done. Now, when he has come, and he's been this way ever since uh, Pentecost, when he's come, he will convince the world of sin, of sin because they believe not, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because judgment has taken place. The prince of this world is judged. 
Now we have this message on DVD and CD. If you call the church or write, we'll send you a copy or you can look at our website and get a copy from there. This is Todd Nybert praying that God will be pleased to make himself known to you. That's our prayer. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen. 